This morning here to preach the word of the Lord is Pastor Dave Jaspers. He has been serving in pastoral ministry for many years. Uh, he actually served on pastoral ministry right here at Bethel, 2007 to 2010. His wife, Kathy, served in the church as well, in the office, as well as teaching sixth grade in our Christian school. And so we're very excited to have them and blessed. So Brother Dave Jaspers, you come and preach to the word of the Lord to us this morning. Well, good morning. It's a joy to see each of you here today. Uh, a number of weeks ago, Pastor Ken contacted me and invited me to come fill the pulpit this morning. Uh, I know this is spring break, and I know what that does here at Bethel. About half the congregation disappears. And, uh, but I'm glad that you're here, and I hope that you're already receiving a blessing from the great worship time that we've had together this morning. Uh, my wife Kathy is here with me, and we both have the greatest memories of serving here for four years and had the chance to work with the Lamplighters class, had the chance to uh, work over in, in the Annex building and uh, work with a lot of the couples who have their children in the Christian school. And it was just an amazing opportunity, a very fruitful opportunity in our lives, and we'll forever be thankful for that. But thank you for being here today. Trust the Lord will bless each of you. We just finished reading together what is called the parable of the sower. Now, this may well be the most famous parable of all the ones that Jesus gave. In this chapter, Matthew chapter 13, there are actually seven different parables that are recorded. When I was in Bible college, they taught us that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I think that that's a pretty accurate definition for how a parable works. Jesus often in his public teaching would take things that were just everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill kinds of things, and yet he would use those to illustrate some aspect of the truth of the kingdom of heaven. And so the interesting thing to me as we were reading together this morning, we, we went through the parable and we noticed that in the parable, Jesus is describing a farmer who is in the process of planting the seeds that are going to be sown, planting those seeds in the ground. But he does it through a method that is, is called broadcasting. That's the term that uh, farmers would use today. And that would be that the, that the farmer would wait until the evening when the winds had died down. And then he would take a, a large leather pouch and he would fill that pouch with the seed that was to be sown. And then he would walk up and down the length of that field. And as he walked along in stride, he would take handfuls of soil out of the handfuls of seed, I'm sorry, um, out of that leather pouch and would scatter that seed. Now, what the parable emphasizes as Jesus is giving it is that it emphasizes what happened to that seed. This, this man's responsibility as a farmer was to scatter the seed. He was to literally blanket the field with seed. But that seed, as it's thrown, landed in different types of soil. First of all, he talked about the, the seed that landed along the pathway over along the edge of the field. So as the farmer was uh, sowing the seed in the area where we would call them end rows, uh, that he, as he's sowing that seed, some of that seed would bounce over into the path. And when that happened, the Bible says that the birds would swoop down and would gobble up that seed. It was taken away. Then it says sometimes the seed fell within the, within the field, but it fell in an area where there were a lot of rocks present, rocky, rocky soil. And it says that because there was not much room for roots to develop properly, uh, that, that the, the seed immediately sprouted up. 
But then a little bit later, when the sun was up and the, and the rains had died out and it was more of a hot climate, then those, those plants would all curl up and die because they did not have any roots in that area. Third, he talked about some of the seed that fell in the thorny area. So there were patches where the weeds tended to grow. And it says that when the seed fell in the thorny ground, then the thorns would grow up around that seed and would choke it out, and there would be no fruit on that seed. But then finally, he described the soil that fell on good, gr- on good ground. And um, ho- hopefully that was the majority of the field, or otherwise he was going to have a rough year. Uh, but that soil would fall on good ground, and as it did so, it would bring forth fruit. A grain would come forth. And it says sometimes it would come forth about a hundredfold, sometimes sixtyfold, sometimes thirtyfold. And then he uttered the statement that is my favorite statement in the entire parable. It's all making sense to me. I, I grew up in Iowa, and uh, my my. My uncle farmed a very large farm north of us, and I would work in the summer times out on the farm. So all the things that he's describing of the soil, the condition of the soil, and what happens with the seed, it all makes sense until you come to that last statement. And in verse number nine, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I'm sure that if I had been in that congregation that day listening to Jesus teach and perhaps even watching over at a nearby field, seeing the farmer do what Jesus was describing, when he said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear, my head would have snapped back and I would have thought to myself, hear what? I mean, this is a lesson on farming. This is a lesson on being better steward of the seed, isn't it? Isn't that the whole point? But Jesus indicated there was something more going on. And we, we know that that was the whole purpose of the parables. Jesus used the parables to instruct his disciples, but he used the parables also to preach the kingdom of God. So a little bit later that day, uh, when the crowds had begun to dissipate, and Jesus, sitting on that boat out, just out away from the shore, comes back in. He returns to with his disciples, and he says to them in verse number 18, if you want to look there, please. In verse number 18, he says, hear then the parable of the sower. In other words, Jesus is going to discuss with them on a private level exactly what he was indicating or meaning with the parable of the sower. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and catches, catches away or snatches away that which has been sown, now watch this, in his heart. Now at that point in this whole passage, everything shifts. And the shift is a wonderful shift because it's helping us understand how do we apply this text to our hearts. Jesus said when he gave the parable, he was very careful to describe the condition of the soil where the seed was scattered to. But now in the interpretation of the parable, Jesus is careful to identify that the seed is nothing short of the word of God. It is the gospel. So it's nothing short of the word of God, and that this seed, as it is scattered around the field, it's falling in different sections or in different areas that are characteristic of the heart. So you see that reference to the heart in the end of verse number 18. He says, this is he which we, uh, verse number 19, this was what was sown, uh, no, this was what had been sown in his heart. 
So lit- literally, and one of the reasons why I love this particular parable is that it is a very helpful description and, and a reminder to us as to how we respond when we hear the Word of God. What is your heart response to the Word of God? I remember when I was a young boy growing up in Iowa uh, that the idea of the condition of someone's heart uh, was something that was, was, was often spoken about. Um, I, I well remember the, the, the news uh, when the first heart transplant had been, had been performed. You remember the first time you heard about a heart transplant taking place? We're talking a few years ago now. Uh, but that I remember very vividly that this stirred up a, a controversy and people were wondering, is this really something that is right to do? What, what are we doing messing with the heart? And um, one evening, my dad and I attended a meeting downtown Marshalltown, Iowa, where I, where I grew up. And in the meeting, they were discussing the ethical dynamic of what, whether it was appropriate or not for someone to have a heart transplant. Would that be an appropriate response? And in the meeting that night was a dear elderly gentleman um, who was a believer. And after some discussion back and forth as to whether heart transplants were a good idea or a bad idea, were we, were we playing God now? Some of the same arguments we hear now when we think of some of the advantages that technology has allowed the doctors in the medical field to make. And this, this dear gentleman, he, he let the conversation go for a while, and finally he stood to his feet. And he was almost 90, so it took him a little while to stand to his feet. And then he stood upright and he said, wait just a minute. Now, at that point, he had everybody's attention. And he said, what if someday I would have to have a heart transplant? And what if they put into me a heart that came out of an unsaved person? Would I still be a Christian? And I mean, the, the oxygen sucked out of the room. People were dumbfounded. Wow, how do you answer that question? Now, we smile. We sit here together this morning, and, and things have advanced so far beyond that. That particular stage is not even funny. Uh, but but we, we smile and think, well, that, that was cute that this fellow had that concern, but really that's not a concern. Because when the Bible talks about the heart, and it does a lot, when the Bible talks about the heart, it is not talking about that muscle or that pump or that organ inside of here that circulates blood through your body, when the Bible talks about the heart, it is speaking of that very core of your being, who you really are, how, how, you, how you respond to the Lord. And the idea of the, of the parable is, the parable is a picture of seed that falls on different soil conditions, and there are different results. In the interpretation, it is, it is a picture of the seed of the Word of God being sown in the hearts of people who would hear the message of the gospel, and then how would they respond to that message? Now, a, a, a word of caution, and I hope you'll hear this carefully. Um, the worst thing we could do, you know, I want to make this very clear, and if you want to argue about it later, I'll, I'll hang around for a little while. <laughs> Not long, but a little while. Okay. Um, so here, here's the idea of, of as, as we're thinking about the, the passage of the Word of God, when, when the Word of God is speaking about these four different conditions, it is not describing somebody who is saved or not saved. We fall into a ditch 
uh, trying to understand this passage, if we think, well, this particular one was a saved man and this was an unsaved man and we don't know about this guy. We're, no, 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 no. Don't even go there because the point of the parable is not which one of these people are saved. Are they all saved or none of them saved? That's not the point. The point is what is the heart reaction, the heart response to the word of God? Now, do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so we want to be careful about it because I've, I've heard several sermons on the parable of the sower, uh, preachers who could preach circles around me, that's for sure, and they would get all tied up trying to define which one of these is a saved person and which one of them is not. Now, I have opinions about who may be a saved and who isn't, but that's all they are. Okay, they're just my opinions, and that's not worth anything at all. So just that word of caution. When you study the parable of the sower, It is not a parable revealing who is saved and who's not saved. It is a parable dwelling on what is the heart condition as it responds to the seed of the Word of God. What is the heart condition as it responds to the gospel? Now, it's a a joy for Kathy and I to come back to Bethel this morning. Uh, This is something we've been looking forward now for several weeks, and we've been hearing from some of you via email and text messages, oh, uh, Pastor Dave, we're excited you're going to come back and preach again. And I look around this room, and I see many dear friends. But I also look around this room, and I see a number of faces I don't know you. Okay, that's a good thing. Uh, you You like to have new faces, like to have that on a weekly basis, right? So I'm I I do not know, I do not pretend to know who in this room is saved and who is not. Now, a number of you that we worked with uh, during those four years that we were on staff, um, I would would have a a fairly strong opinion about uh, the the fact that that I believe that you're a saved person and you've you've shown the fruit in your life, etc. But visitors, I don't know you at all. Um, And so this, this would be a mistake. If I were to take this passage and then try from this to work on you and say, okay, now this was written to people that are not saved or this is written to people that are saved, but they're backslidden or whatever. No, no. What we need to focus on is what is the heart response to the word of God? And that, what is the response? What is the heart response to the word of God? That is a question that every one of us must answer. How, how do I respond when I hear the Word of God presented? How do, how do I respond in Sunday school this morning? How do I respond in this worship service that we're here corporately together this morning? How do I respond if I'm sitting in a community group and we're discussing a passage? How do I respond to the Word of God? What, what is your heart response to the Word of God? So I hope that that makes sense to you. I hope that maybe that that elevates then your attention to this passage because it's such a familiar one. So let's start at verse number 18 and let's carefully just work our way through observing what the response was in the heart to the message of the word of, word of God. Verse number 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, that is the word of God, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Now that phrase is not describing someone who has trouble understanding. This is not not a reflection on someone's uh, brain power, someone's how how intelligent they may or may not be. Um, He's talking here not about someone who cannot understand. He's talking here about someone who will not understand. 
Can you see the difference in that? Uh, I, I used to, when I was a kid growing up, I used to hear farmers make all kinds of interesting sta- statements. One of the statements that I heard on numerous occasions was, you can lead a horse to water, but you, I just heard it, okay, but you can't what? Make him drink, okay? Now, one farmer said, unless you put salt in the oats, and if you put salt in those, then they're going to want to drink for sure, okay? And that may be the case. <laughs> um, but the, the idea here is, is that here's a person who comes and hears the Word of God, they hear the gospel, but they don't understand it, and evidently they make no effort to understand it. Their, their response to the Word of God is a response of just letting it go because it does not evidently appeal, appeal to them. And look at what happens. He says, they do not understand it. Then the evil one comes, now that would be Satan, then the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. So when the hearer, in this case, a heart represented by the hard soil on the pathway, that was the first condition in the parable itself, when this hearer hears the message of the Word of God, there is a rejection to that message, and the end result is a hardened heart that says no to the Word of God. I remember when we were in Bible college years and years ago, I knew that God was calling me to be a pastor, but I I had a specific interest in the work of an evangelist, and it it intrigued me that these men would, sometimes with their families, sometimes without, but these men would travel across the nation and travel to the mission field, and they would have the opportunity to preach the Word of God in many different settings. And that intrigued me. So I I knew I was called to be a pastor, but I had a real interest in the work of the evangelist. So an evangelist from Texas came to our campus and offered that if some of us preacher boys wanted to, he would take us for a part of the summer, let us travel uh, with him in his meetings during those weeks, and we could get some firsthand experience and and some firsthand understanding of what's, what's involved in the life of an evangelist. So I Uh, Kathy and I were married by this time, but we talked about it. We both felt that this was a really good opportunity. And so she stayed in Michigan with her parents, and I went and traveled with this evangelist from Texas. Now, I'm going to tell you, and this is not a secret, I'm going to tell you that I basically learned what not to do. Okay. Have you ever been in that situation? You know, you're, you're learning something, but it's not, it's, you're learning, like, whoa, don't ever do that. And I, I learned this guy, he had more methods to, to manipulate people, and he would manipulate the congregations when he was speaking to them, and uh, he was great on getting people scared. He, he could take all of the current world events. Now, we think about how bad things are now. Uh, this was over 50 years ago, and yet there were many things that were bad then as well. And this guy would use all of that to try to scare people into getting saved. And he would use several different things. So uh, we, we traveled, and, and basically I, I just learned what I would never do <laughs> when I had the opportunity to be out and preach uh, to some other congregation. So, um, the, but the, the purpose of our being there was to learn. So I, I tried to have a, uh, have a part in the ministry that week. And I remember that in one of these churches we went to, it was in Tennessee, uh, that a, a visitor came and actually sat right beside me in the pew where I was sitting. And um, I could tell by what, what he did during the song uh, music t- portion of the service. He didn't, he didn't know any of the songs. And, um, and then when it came to the preaching time, I could tell that he was struggling to understand what was being said. 
But then when the evangelist concluded his sermon, he said, every head bowed, every eye closed. And he said, now, if you're not sure you're saved, raise your hand. And I was sitting beside this man, and I will tell you that I had my head bowed, but I didn't have my eyes closed. I was, I was watching out of the corner of my eye to see what his response would be. And sure enough, his hand went into the air. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Well, we started the hymn of invitation. And this man stood there, and this is no exaggeration. I watched him reach up, and he got a death grip on the back of the pew in front of him, just squeezing so tight, his knuckles all turned white. And I leaned over and I whispered to him, I said, if you'd like to go, I'll go with you. And he kind of shook me away. And then during the closing prayer, he slipped out and disappeared. And I, I was disappointed because I felt like there was strong evidence that the Lord had been working in his heart during the service. Um, no one made him raise his hand. He raised his hand because, honestly, he did not know whether he was saved or not. And this man needed to have that, uh, that question answered in his heart. And so I I kept praying that maybe another night he would come back to the service. So Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night did not show. So finally on Friday, I had talked to the pastor about this fellow. He had an idea of who he was and where he lived. And I asked if I could borrow a car. And I drove out to where this man's house was. And as as I pulled up in front of his house, here he was out in the driveway He had the trunk open on his car, and he was busy storing fishing equipment in the trunk of the car. So obviously, he was not coming to the Friday night revival meeting. So I thought, well, maybe I can just talk to him here at his house. So I got out of my car and walked up, and at first he was kind of leery, who's this stranger coming up my driveway? And then he recognized me from the church service. And I, I stood there, and we started talking about fishing. I loved to fish, so we started about talking about fishing, and I, I was looking at his equipment, and I kind of I kind of had my hands on the edge of the lip where the trunk would close, and I'm, I'm talking to him about fishing, and then I begin to shift the conversation to the things of the Word of God and what he had heard in that Sunday evening service. No sooner did I begin to mention the name of the Lord, but this guy reached up, grabbed the trunk lid, and slammed it shut. How, how I got my fingers out in, in time, I'm not sure, because I'm not that fast. And I, and I was stunned. What would make a person be so angry, such a violent reaction, just being spoken to about the Word of God and about the promises of salvation? Well, I can answer that question today. Although I was confused back then, I know the answer now. This man said no in his heart. And when anyone says no to the seed of the word of God, hardness of heart creeps in. And by the way, this can happen in the heart of a believer as well. You can, you can sit through some services, excuse me, you can sit through some services and absolutely enjoy every part of the service. But there are other services where maybe the topic that's being preached on or the passage that's being used is one that causes you discomfort. And if you sit there and say no in your heart to the word of God, then the end result is that of a hardened heart. The first soil condition, i.e. heart condition, is the heart of that individual who says no to the word of God. And their heart is hardened and then comes the wicked one, that would be Satan, And he catches away what was sown in their heart. The second soil condition we see in verse number 20. It says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, stony ground. This is the one who hears the word 
and immediately receives it with joy. Now, this is a totally different reaction, isn't it? This is now a very happy reaction, and, and there's an emotional reaction. With joy, this one receives the seed, and yet, but here's the danger, verse 21. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So the second soil condition is illustrated by that section of the field where there were a lot of rocks. And because of the presence of the stones, there was not much soil there, just a shallow layer of soil. And when the seed in the parable, when the seed fell into that rocky ground, it immediately began to spring up. But when things got hot, the rains died down, the atmosphere was hot, and and, um, immediately the Bible says that those plants were scorched why? Because there was no root in them. And when we get to the definition of the parable, as Jesus is explaining it, he says that when the seed of the word of God is sown, that the rocky ground illustrates that individual who hears the word of God and their initial reaction is great joy. They seem all excited about it. Boy, I've seen this many times through the years. They seem all excited about it. Boy, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And yet, because they don't take the time to develop a spiritual root system, then that seed eventually, when when persecution comes and things get difficult, as it does, then this individual, that, that, that fruit dies and the plant dies. So the second condition that I would urge you about is your response to the Word of God. If your response is an initial, oh, this is the best thing ever, But because you don't take the time to allow for the development of a spiritual root system, when that persecution persecution comes, and it will, that's why the Apostle Paul said to Timothy that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This is not just things that are happening in China and things that are happening in in great parts of Africa and other parts of the world where Christians are being so severely persecuted. We here in the West, we don't know much about persecution. Uh, we're, We're under no threat being here today. No one gave you a bad time about coming to church today. We don't worry about officers running in here and and shutting the service down because we still thank the Lord, we still have a measure of religious liberty in this country. But the problem is when we hear the word and there's only an initial, an initial emotional reaction, there's not really room made for change in the heart. Then when persecution does come, that, that plant withers and dies because of the lack of root. Oh, let, don't, don't let yourself limit what God is trying to do to help and grow your heart and strengthen your heart spiritually. Let the Lord do his work. The third uh, illustration in the, in the interpretation, we find it in verse number 22. It says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So again, We have an illustration where there's not a fruitful response in reaction to the Word of God. But the difference here is that this is describing uh, when the seed would fall into where the weeds were. A, A plant would begin to grow. But because of the presence 
of the, sea, of the thorns that were there, those thorns and weeds would choke out the life of the, of the seed and uh, there would be no fruit there. Uh, and again, the, the, the seed would die. Um, I remember growing up in Iowa, you would hear all the time um, the, 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 what, what the farmers would spread on the soil uh, to fight weed control, Lors ban, furdan, herbicides, pesticides, um, and they would spread those things on the field to try to kill the weeds and allow the plant to grow. This is the danger when in our lives we allow those weeds to grow. Now, he names two of the weeds in this passage. He says, first of all, the care of this world, and then secondly, he said, and the deceitfulness of riches. Both, both of those are potential weeds in our lives. Now, this is not saying that this is something that we're, we're not allowed to ever have any money or we're not allowed to be able to enjoy some of the fun things and good things in this life. It's just talking about when these things become spiritual weeds and it, it chokes the life of the, of the fruit of the seed that I'm, that I'm in trying to enjoy and, and, the, and the plant dies because of the presence of those, of those weeds in our life. The care of this world, worldliness, you say, well, Dave, what, what is worldliness? Worldliness is when I allow the things of this life to be more important to me than I allow the things of heaven to be in my heart. Every one of us needs to realize that we are not a part of this world. We are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. Uh, we, are, we are strangers and pilgrims. Um, in our church down in Manuka, where Kathy and I attend now, I'm teaching the adult Sunday school class, and we're studying through First Peter. And all the way through First Peter is, is this message of hope that when persecution comes, that God's going to, by His Spirit, is going to sustain you through that persecution, and you will, you will wind up with rejoicing in your heart. Uh, so the whole, the whole passage is one of great hope. But the problem is, so many times... We, we allow ourselves to get distracted by the things of this world. This world is not my home. Amen. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. One of our problems, and it's a sticky one, one of our problems is, is that we can, when we let ourselves, we can become comfortable in this world. We can become comfortable in, in highlighting and, and enjoying and emphasizing the things that the world emphasizes and not give ear to what the Lord is saying in his word to us. Watch out for the weed of worldliness. And secondly, the, 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 the deceitfulness of riches. Um, again, this is not saying that having money is a sin. It's not. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil, does it? The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's an important distinction for us to make. But when we allow the things of this world and the interests and the passions and the cares of this world, when we allow them to be a big deal in our lives and we're not giving proper attention to what the Word of God teaches, then we are losing the opportunity to be fruitful and being bearing fruit in, in our lives. Now, finally, we come to verse number th- 23. And verse 23, like the parable, describes the good ground. Everything else has been pretty negative, right? But now here comes a description of the good ground. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, 
He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Here's, here's the ideal. It's the ideal in the parable itself, and it's the ideal in this description or interpretation of the parable, that when the, the seed of the Word of God fells, falls on good ground, when the seed of the Word of God falls on a heart that is open and hungry and responsive to the Word of God, the Bible says then there's going to be fruit that will be born. Fruit in our lives that redounds in glory and honor to our wonderful Heavenly Father. That we are, that we are, that we are bearing fruit for His glory and that one of these days we will have all sufficient reason to rejoice together because of what the Lord is doing in our lives. So, here's my question. If it is possible... For everyone in this room, those of you that are saved, perhaps somebody here that's not saved, is if it is possible for any of us to hear the Word of God and yet fail to respond properly, if that situation describes you, then this morning our great God is offering you the opportunity to make that right with Him. This is a very personal question. And it's one that only you can answer for your life. I don't have the ability to look at you and say, oh, I know what, what condition your heart's in. I, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. Um, but the Lord knows. And if this morning the Lord is speaking to your heart and saying, your heart reaction to the message of the Word of God is not what it should be, then this morning let's let there be a change in our lives and let the Lord bring about that fruitful spirit that we can anticipate enjoying and rejoicing in fellowship with our great God. Heavenly Father, how we thank you and praise you for the opportunity to be together this morning. Thank you, dear Lord, for this winter. It's not been as harsh as we were led to believe it was going to be, and you've allowed us to be able to see a lot of things accomplished even throughout the winter months. Thank you for the new families you've been bringing here to Bethel. Praise you for each one of those and help them to find that this is a healthy place where the seed of the Word of God is sown in abundance in so many different settings and so many opportunities where we can sit under the sound of the teaching of the Word of God. Thank you that we have that opportunity. So thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room who recognizes that their heart response to the Word of God is not what it should be, then, Lord, I pray that uh, they would yield their hearts to you in that, that particular area. Bless us now, we pray. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen.